Let's clap our hands in thanksgiving to the Lord. Amen. God's not finished here. God's not finished here today. Praise the Lord. I'm just going to do what I feel. We're going to suspend the order of the day and we'll take care of the commercials at the end. But I feel like getting into the word of the Lord right now. I feel like our hearts are ready to receive from God's word. So if you have your Bibles and you want to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. And uh, verse number three, I want to read a few verses and then we'll be seated and we can receive the word of the Lord. Amen. We are so excited about what's happening at Life Church, about our life groups that are going on right now, about the plans and the ideas, the spirit prompted and led ideas that uh, God is placing in the hearts of people of how to make an impact in the community. We're very excited about that. Second Peter chapter three. Verse number three, before we read, I want to say we will have a special speaker next Sunday. I encourage you to bring someone out. He will be ministering to on relationships and on families. He's a licensed family a therapist and counselor and a powerful minister of the word of the Lord. And his name is Jason Carr, and we're excited about him being with us next week. Second Peter 3 and 3 says, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be? in all holy conversation and godliness. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Verse 3, it said, or verse 4, said those in the last days will say, where is the promise of his coming? Because since the fathers fell asleep, things are just continuing the way that they were from the beginning. But God will fulfill his promise. And I want to speak for a few moments this afternoon, something the Lord has put in my spirit this week for you to hear, and that is living in light of eternity, living in light of eternity. Lord Jesus, I thank you today for the goodness and mercy that you show to us. I'm thankful, Lord, for the blessings that we feel in the house right now, the closeness, Lord Jesus, of your presence and your spirit. And I pray today, Lord God, as we get into your word, let our hearts be open, let our spirits be ready to receive what thus saith the Lord. And not only, Lord Jesus, will we be, we pray, hearers of the word, but let us take account of our lives and in practice become doers of the word as well. We pray these things by faith in the name of Jesus, believing that you hear us and that you will answer our prayer today. In the name of Jesus Christ, I wonder if everybody could say amen. And if you're thankful for what you feel today, why don't you put your hands together before you're seated.
one of the interesting things to consider and study and think about is why people make the decisions that they do. You can look at a person's life and you can see that uh, because of their decisions, many of them have a good life. Others, because of their decisions, perhaps are struggling with things that they don't have to. There are many things that factor in to what causes people to make the types of decisions that they do, priorities that they have, the family in which they were raised, the experiences that they've had in life, and the hurts that they have gone through. But I want to tell you that uh, there are two major perspectives that influence person's decisions, choices, and priorities, and values. These two major viewpoints have to do with what a person thinks about or believes about eternity. Now, just for our discussion today, so that you would know what we're talking about, eternity means what will come after life when this life is finished. Eternity has no ending. Eternity lasts forever. Now, I know that when we think about eternity, it really almost blows our minds because our minds are associated with everything being finite. Everything in this world had a beginning, and everything we see we know will eventually have a beginning. And when we consider the thought or the idea that something could last forever, it just kind of freaks us out a little bit. Am I the only one that kind of gets freaked out when I think forever and ever? And then I remember growing up hearing the descriptions of eternity, that if you had a steel ball, anybody remember this one? A steel ball the size of the earth. And if there was a bird that would come by and brush his wing against that big ball of steel every thousand years, once the brushing of that wing had worn away the entire ball of uh, steel, then eternity would just have begun. Well, that's kind of just a, a way of causing us to realize how eternity is forever. So these two major viewpoints that people in the world that are alive today subscribe to are, number one, biblical believers like the New Testament church who have a biblical world view. And your viewpoint or your perspective on life is going to influence your choices and your decisions and your values and the things that you are passionate about. And when we study the church in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, and then you read and infer things from the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the New Testament church, you discover, you learn that this was a church that was passionate and obsessed with the second coming of Jesus Christ. You see, it was a group of people who had spent time with Jesus and had uh, let his life intertwine around their lives. And when Jesus died on the cross, they were crushed. And when Jesus came out of the tomb, their lives were once again alive with hope. But then the Bible says that there was a group standing with Jesus 
on the top of the Mount of Olives. And there on that day, the Mount of Transfiguration, that Jesus Christ was taken up from them. And they stood watching and observing as he left them into the heavens. And as they were staring up, the angels came down and said to them, Why stand ye here staring? This same Jesus which was taken from you shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go. Then the other prophets declared that the Mount of Olives that Jesus had left from, he was going to come back and they would cleave into two mountains. And there was this expectation and expectancy. Jesus told them, I am coming again. If I go to my father's house to prepare a place, I will come and receive you into uh, my midst. And so we see this thing called in the King James Version, the appearing of the Lord Jesus that they were waiting for and anticipating. And it affected every decision that they made. It affected the way that they lived their lives. It affected what they thought about when they woke up in the morning. And it affected the way that they interacted with people. It affected their purchasing. It affected their values. This concept and belief and conviction that Jesus was coming back and his glorious appearing was their hope. As we're not talking about people that were living in prosperity. And we're not talking about people who were looking for the next faith healer and looking for the next uh, person to encourage them about uh, how God was going to bless them with a brand new chariot uh, or a brand new home. We're talking about people that experience being under the thumb of Roman rulership and eventually their uh, country and nation was decimated at 70 AD. We're talking about people who were persecuted because of their beliefs uh, and they were wrapped up their entire lives were wrapped up in the idea that Jesus is going to come and he's going to end this life he's going to end the persecution he's going to end the tears and the sorrow he is coming again and there's a word that they would use when they would greet one another in the early church when they greet one another as believers today we say praise the Lord Glory to God. Or, uh, it slipped me right now, but what, what do the Spanish speakers say? Paz de Cristo. Amen. Amen. And, but during this time, they would say an Aramaic word that was Maranatha. Maranatha. You see it in 1 Corinthians and also it's in Revelations chapter 22 and verse 20. It doesn't say Maranatha. It's a a transliteration or, or a, it takes the word and puts it in our language. But when they met one another, they would say Maranatha. And when they left from being in fellowship with other brothers and sisters, it was Maranatha because they were leaving out into a hostile environment where they would not experience uh, uh, encouragement from the outside world. But they would say Maranatha. And Maranatha simply means even so come, Lord Jesus It was the greeting on their lips. It was what they said before they exited from one another. Maranatha, even so, come, Lord Jesus. This was uh, what was on their mind as their 
blood pumped through their blood vessels. And this was what was on their mind when their breath was coming into their lungs and out of their lungs. As long as I'm alive on this planet, here is my hope. My hope is that Jesus Christ will come again. Amen. We will say Maranatha. It was a constant reminder of the Lord's return. It was an expression of faith in the promises of our Lord concerning his return. And uh, in, in all of the more than 300 references to the second coming of Christ found in the New Testament, 300 references to the second coming, and the church would say, Maranatha, Maranatha. And so this is one viewpoint. The belief that there is an eternity the belief that this 70, 80, or 90 years that we are given on this planet, if we're lucky and healthy, is not the real deal. It's a staging ground for eternity. And the choices that we make and the values that we espouse during our 70 to 80 years here will determine what happens in eternity. This is one worldview. And as you can imagine then, Decisions, choices, values would be affected by this concept, this belief that there is eternal life, that there is eternity. On the other side of the equation, there are those who espouse the secular worldview. The biblical worldview is holding the Bible as authority and believing the principles of the Word of God. The other viewpoint is the secular worldview. These are for those atheists and hardcore evolutionists that do not believe in a primary mover, that believe that life is just chance. And they believe that this time on earth is all there is. And that at the end of the time on earth, that you just return back to the soil. And the only uh, difference that you can make, the only impact that you can make, all the pleasures that you can enjoy, everything that you can drink in as you carpe diem or seize the day because you're not sure about tomorrow and this is the only life that you live. Gives birth to phrases like YOLO. Everybody know what YOLO means? YOLO. That's one of those text terms like LOL. Anybody know what LOL means? It doesn't mean lol. It doesn't mean lots of love. It means laugh out loud. YOLO means you only live once. You only live once. And this is what a person will put on a uh, text message or a tweet when they are expressing something that they're doing that might be a little risque or might be a little on the edge of acceptability or might be a, a, a huge expense or a huge outlay of finances. And uh, uh, they say, I, I'm doing this today. You only live once. Uh, I, I'm enjoying life this way because YOLO. And uh, I, I'm going to uh, go here because YOLO. And I'm going to buy this for myself because YOLO. And I'm going to buy a $50 steak today because YOLO. You only live once. San Bernardino the other day, there was a 21-year-old boy named Irvin McInnes. He was an aspiring rapper. He went by the name Inky. He tweeted from a car, a car full of four young guys. His tweet was, drunk, going 120, drifting corners, 
and then an explicative, and then Y-O-L-O. We're drunk, driving 120, drifting the corners. You only live once. Well, the story is that just a few seconds after he tweeted this, the 2005 Nissan Sentra slammed into a wall, and this boy named Irvin McKinnis went into eternity. YOLO. What does the Bible say about YOLO? Do we only live once? Is it only these 70 years that we have here on this planet that determine the value and whether there is anything in this world? In the Old Testament, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, it says this. This is Old Testament. It says, many of those that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and others to everlasting contempt. Everybody say the word everlasting. Everlasting, never ending, eternal. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says this. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So in terms of the 70 years of sucking wind on planet earth, true, you only live once. You will return to the dust that God brought you from. But the Bible lets us know that we will awaken from the dust and after our 70 years of living, we will face judgment. And upon determination of judgment, we will either experience everlasting life or everlasting contempt. Did you know that this is what the Bible is about? You can go to many churches week after week after week after month after year and never even hear what the Bible is about. But this Bible is about how your choices on this planet during 70 years affect eternity. Jesus Christ said it this way, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. So it's not about these 70 years that I live on this planet. If I never get to drive a Mercedes, that's okay. If I never get to live in a house that I own, that's okay. If I never get to dress in finery and take fine vacations, that's okay. Because the reality is this amount of time in comparison to eternity is so short. And whatever I have on this earth won't matter in eternity. In my life and ministry, I've been to funeral after funeral after funeral. I've driven as pastor behind many a hearse, but I've never seen a single hearse that had a hitch and a U-Haul trailer attached to it. Why? You know it. You can't take it with you. And it won't matter beyond this day and this time. Only what's done for eternity will matter. And when you live your life in light of eternity, you make different decisions and you have different values and you have a complete different set of priorities. Yes, sir. John 4, 13 says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. 
but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. I wonder if we have progressed so much as human beings that we are no longer motivated by the idea of eternal life. And we have to wrap our faith and our Christianity up into what it can benefit us during the 70 years on this planet. But the reality is there are people serving God today who are facing the possibility of death because of their faith. They're not living some kind of a prosperity gospel, but they believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. And however you feel about this will affect the way that you live. However you feel about this will influence the choices and the decisions that you make. You know, if I was to use from the Bible an example of two people that were connected together whose lives represented this divergence of values, it would be two brothers who were born as twins out of the same womb. One came out just a few moments before the other. The first one was Esau, and the second was Jacob. Jacob and Esau, two brothers who grew up in the same household. But the Bible says they were so divergent in their perspectives of the value of eternal things. The Bible says that God loved Jacob and hated Esau. See, this is another thing I want to get across to you. Those who don't understand or live in light of eternity step out of line of God's favor and blessing because God does not bless and favor those who live for today. He blesses and favors those who live in light of eternity. Malachi chapter 1 and verse 2 says, Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I loved Jacob and I hated Esau. And it says of the the descendants of Esau, the Edomites, they shall build, but I will throw down and, uh, uh, and throw them down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people with whom the Lord hath indignation forever. The person, the people that God is angry with forever. Man, what did Esau do to get God so angry that it would affect his progenity throughout all of time? What is it that Jacob did to receive God's favor and blessing upon him? The story goes, Jacob and Esau, Jacob was a worker in the tent. Esau was a hunter. Esau had been out hunting and he came in from the field. He was famished, hungry wanted his needs met right then. And when he came into the house, he smelled, in the tent there, he smelled something that smelled delicious because his brother Jacob had been preparing a bowl of lentils or beans. As the story goes, he comes in and says, that bowl of beans looks delicious and I am starved. Will you please give me that bowl of beans? Jacob's like, what do you give me for it? Let's make a trade here. Jacob then proposes this idea. Will you trade me your birthright for this bowl of beans? And Esau thinks to himself, 
and says, man, I'm so hungry, I'm about to die. If I don't get something to eat, what good is my birthright to me? What in the world is a birthright? In ancient times, the birthright was very important and sacred. It belonged to the firstborn, and so Esau had it, being the first one out of the womb. The family name, the family titles were to pass along to the eldest son. He would also receive a chief or a larger portion of the inheritance. But it was more than just the title to physical assets. But the birthright was a spiritual position. And in case of uh, 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 Jacob and Esau and the people of God, God would lead the family through the patriarchs or the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But it's not Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because Esau valued what this world could give him today over something that would have eternal implications and eternal value. In this case, the one who received the birthright was the one who the covenant promise that had been given to Abraham would pass on, that he would bless him, but not only bless him, but that through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. Ultimately, the Messiah would come through the person that held the birthright, and all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Esau says, I want mine and I want it now. Jacob says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get a hold of something that has eternal and lasting, everlasting value. He tapped into an everlasting covenant. If you look up the word everlasting in the, in the King James Version, it almost always is followed by the word covenant. Everlasting covenant that I made with Abraham. Come on now. Jacob said, I want something everlasting. Esau says, I want something temporary. Jacob says, I want something eternal. Esau says, I want something here and now. Jacob says, I live in light of eternal things. And Esau says, I live in light of my 70 years and my appetites and my quest for hunger. And the reality is God says, I can bless someone that lives in light of eternal things. But I can't afford to give blessings or favor or even my love to someone who is only interested in this world right now. Two viewpoints. The biblical worldview, secular worldview. I want to talk about a third one right now. A third viewpoint. Because there is a third viewpoint that is kind of a compromise between the two. A compromise between the extreme belief and faith and commitment in eternity, in Jesus' return, and this idea that, you know, we're just here on this planet by chance. I'm another animal who happens to socialize with us and put clothes on my body. Here's the third viewpoint, this Christianity light, if you would, and that is we're going to believe in and confess Jesus Christ as our Savior, but we're going to live with little regard for eternity. This, these are those believers, if you would, whose lives are no longer lived in light of eternity. Even though they have chosen to put their faith in Jesus Christ, they're not living their life and making choices 
and establishing values and priorities based on the belief that Jesus is coming again and we're going to live forever somewhere. Amen. See, this is the dangerous position to be in. This is a dangerous position to find yourself in. To be a believer in Jesus Christ but not living in light of eternity. To be a believer in Jesus Christ, but not making decisions based on the belief that it's not just these 70, 80 years that I live here, but it's eternal life that I am living for. Based on the decision, making your decisions based on the reality that uh, uh, the greatest thing that I can do is to save a soul from an eternity of being lost uh, and bring them into eternal salvation. That's why the kind of rejoicing that should happen around here when a person is baptized in Jesus' name or when a person receives the gift of the Holy Ghost or when a person makes a step of faith and decides I want to live for Jesus it ought to be off the charts because it's not just a decision about whether or not to buy a timeshare and it's not just a decision about where you're going to go to school and it's not just a decision even though this is a very important decision it's not just a decision about who you're going to marry but it is a decision that has eternal implications all these other things come on will last for only a little while but when I take a step of faith when I put my confidence in Jesus Christ I'm making an eternal decision why there's got to be great rejoicing because if there's not great rejoicing it's an indication that people don't really believe in eternity we like Christianity we like Jesus but we're not really sure whether or not we're going to live forever somewhere but when you really believe it you have a passion for people you value souls above everything Jesus said it this way Jesus said what would it profit a man if he would gain the whole world and lose his soul Why? Why is that important? Because what a man is doing at that point is he is bargaining temporary for eternal. Just like Jacob and Esau did. What did Esau do? He gained the world and lost his soul. He gained the temporary and lost the eternal. Amen. What would it profit a man if he would gain the whole world and lose his soul? That means that one soul is worth more than the value of everything on this planet. Everything that's so important to you, everything that's so valuable to you, all these little things that keep you up worrying at night, it doesn't really matter. But what does matter is where are you going to spend eternity? Is God going to save you? I'm just preaching Bible today. I'm sorry. I know this is not popular. This is not cool or hip or anything, but this is the word of God. Is Jesus going to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Or is he going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. That's the most important thing. Nothing else really matters on this planet. Talk about what matters for a minute here. I believe it's God's will for you to have a good marriage. But you know what? You can have a bad marriage and still go to heaven. I believe it's God's will for you to take good care of your money, to be a good uh, manager of your money. But the reality is you can be a great manager of your money and take it and take it nowhere and you go to hell. Or you can be a lousy manager of money and go to heaven. Because the reality is you've got to remember this is what matters. It's eternity. This is what the Bible is about. Nobody's talking about it anymore. But this is what the Bible is about. 
to live my life every day in light of eternity. See, what's happened, what's created this Christianity light, like I'd like to call it here, is there's no persecution of Christians. We live in a culture that at this point is relatively friendly to our belief system. In fact, it has a lot of influence even in the public square. We live in an environment where we enjoy prosperity and opportunity. And so what happens as, as juxtaposed to those people struggling just to survive in the early church, being persecuted, houses being decimated, being run out of town, not being able to get jobs because they were believers. And here we are today in a different set of circumstances. And what does it do? It creates within us a little bit of an appetite and love for this world. We don't mean for it to happen. Nobody wakes up and says, you know what? I just want to fall in love with this world. But we have so many blessings and we have so many good things and uh, we, we have our family relationships and we enjoy our friendships and we enjoy all the pleasures of this world. Amen. Can I get a witness? Am I telling truth? And we find ourselves thinking this, well, Lord, if you're coming again, please wait a few more years because I'm enjoying my life down here. The reality is, to be truthful, we don't even think and maybe don't even believe that God is coming again and that eternity matters. But I'm telling you today, I'm reminding you as a, a, a commissioned by God today to remind you that the most important thing in your life is that you live in light of eternity and don't fall into the trap of being a Christian who loses sight of what matters. Amen. Let me put balance to this. Let me put balance to this. In Paul's two letters to Thessalonica, he balanced the doctrine of the end time. Because he, he, he had verses like 1 Thessalonians 4.13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that she sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Many other passages I could read that the Apostle Paul talks about the urgency of the coming of the Lord. And, and, and the nearness, and they live every day believing, what if Jesus comes today? But the flip side is, the apostle warned in Second Thessalonians 3.10, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. What is this talking about? As you study Thessalonians, you discover that there were those who were so living in light of eternity that they quit going to work. <laughs> and they started just hanging around and eating off of other people. And the apostles said, in essence, 
Live like Jesus is coming today, but plan like he's not coming for 100 years. Keep working. Keep taking care of things. The Bible says if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an infidel and, have, and, and are not in the faith. So there is a balance here. Everybody still with me? Okay for a little teaching this morning? A balance in the word of God that says you live in light of eternity, believing that the Lord is coming any moment, but at the same time you take care of the needs of your family and you do the things that are important to, to be a good citizen and to live in a way that brings honor. But here's the problem, and, I, and, and I'm, I'm drawing to a close here. And everybody said, thank you, Jesus. When people stop living in light of eternity, it begins to affect their conduct and their decisions and their priorities. Let me read a verse that shares this. Matthew 24, 48. She can put it up on the screen. Let me just tell the story. There was a man that put a person in charge of all of his stuff and went on a trip. It's a parable of Jesus. The guy began to believe that the boss wasn't coming back. And he said in his heart, verse 48, my Lord delayeth his coming. And because he believed this, verse 49, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of. A servant means an insider. For our uh, talk today, it means a believer. A believer who said, look, the Lord's not coming back. He delayeth his coming. And he didn't say this out loud. He said it in his heart. And when he said it in his heart, it began to affect his conduct. A couple examples, he began to hit people. He began to drink alcohol. He began to do these things because he believed that the Lord was delaying his coming, the master was not coming back. And what happens is, is we begin to make decisions that are whack when we don't believe the Lord's coming back. Man, was that a rhyme right there? I don't know if I feel the spirit of Brother Kelly Howard on me. We start to make bad decisions when we're not sure that the Lord's coming back. When we lose that sense that we had when we were a child of belief that Jesus is coming again. It could be any moment. It could be any day. It could be any, mo any time. And we start to make decisions that have conduct that is not right with God. And when the Lord does come as a thief in the night, because we have fallen into this way of thinking that is no longer living in light of eternity, we find ourselves having conduct that doesn't bring glory to God. As we read in 2, Tim, uh, 2 Peter 3 and 3 as our text, in the last days, those that would scoff and say, where is the promise of his coming? Because for years and years, all things continue as they were from the beginning. But the Lord said he would come as a thief in the night. So the Lord is coming again. Whether you believe it or not, it's going to happen. Whether you live like it or not, it's going to happen. So the best thing you can do is accept it, embrace it, believe it, and live every day as if today was your last day on this planet. Give me a high five, Brother Mike. Maranatha, may he come again.
Maranatha, may he come again. Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, Maranatha, even so come, Lord Jesus. When I wake up in the morning, when I walk, when I make decisions, when I interact with people, when I lay my head on the pillow at night, Maranatha, may he come again. Even so come, Lord Jesus. encouraging you to start making Maranatha decisions instead of regular decisions. How shall we live in light of eternity? How shall we live? As believers, it's our natural tendency to drift towards a temporal mindset. Before we even realize it, we're thinking temporal. The Bible refers to this as a carnal mind, a flesh or temporary mind. And there's only one way to deal with that. You got to pray through. Poke your neighbor and say, you got to pray through. Come on, when I say pray through, I'm not talking about now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul you'll keep. Come on, somebody. I'm not talking about Thank you, Jesus, for this food smells so nice and tastes so good. I'm not talking about now I lay me down to sleep. I'm talking about praying through until the Holy Spirit begins to permeate your spirit, until the mind of Christ begins to marinate on top of your mind. Until you begin to think like Jesus thought. Until you begin to make decisions like Jesus would make decisions. Until WWJD becomes more than a bracelet. It becomes a lifestyle. Pray through. Why is this important? Romans chapter 8 says this. Romans 8 says, For they that are after the flesh... Do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You're either walking in a fleshly mind, making decisions in a fleshly mind, choosing values in a fleshly mind, or you're doing it in the mind of the Spirit. You can't have one or the other. You can't have a hybrid. Amen. It is the it is a mind of the flesh or the mind of the Spirit. And is there anybody out there that can be honest with you? And you look back at decisions that you made in the mind of the flesh. You look back at the way that you treated people in the mind of the flesh. You look back at things that happened in the mind of the flesh and you said, I got to pray myself through. Amen. And I think, I think you better never make a major life decision without that decision being permeated with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in verse 6 of that same chapter, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. It says because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It means my default way of thinking puts me at odds with God. Yes, the way that I think naturally puts me at odds with God because it's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. The law of God don't even make sense to my carnal mind. That's why you need the Holy Ghost and fire. That's why you need the Spirit of the Lord working and moving in you. 
And when you pray through, and when you get a refreshing of the Holy Ghost, you'll start making Maranatha decisions. Decisions that say, even so, come Lord quickly. Amen. You'll start having Maranatha priorities. John 6, 27 says this, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life. That means quit working so hard for stuff that perishes and start working for stuff that's going to last in eternal life. Quit laying up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and dust doth corrupt and start laying up for yourself uh, treasures in heaven where there's no thieves that can come and steal it. Labor for everlasting life. So guess what? When we come here to the house of the Lord, let me talk to the church right now. When you come, when you invest, when you serve the kingdom of God, when you do things of eternal value, you are expressing Maranatha priorities. There's a lot more things I could be doing with my time today if my life was only about 70 years on this planet. I'd have a bucket list a mile long, and I'd say, I want to try this. I want to ride this. I want to go here. I want to do that. But the reality is I'm living my life in light of eternity, and so my decisions are such that I'm laying up treasure on the other side. God, I pray that you would infect this entire congregation with a passion for lost people, with a passion for eternal souls so that when we wake up in the morning, we're not thinking about how much money is in my account and we're not thinking about how many people can I influence with my industry, but we're thinking about how can I make an eternal impact Maranatha priorities. Jesus said, I must work the work of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Maranatha values, Titus 2.11, the grace that God of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. When you're looking for the glorious appearing of the Lord, you're going to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. You're going to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. And so, in closing, finally, the most important decision that a person will ever make in their life is the decision to recklessly, passionately follow Jesus Christ. To say, I'm all in. I'm not just there a little bit. I'm not just there for a while. I'm not just there when I feel like it. But I'm all in. Someone described it this way, diving. When you dive in, you don't halfway dive in. You either dive in or you don't. Because if you halfway dive in, anybody know what that's called? Belly flop. And that hurts and is embarrassing. You either dive in or you stay on the side. 
And there are people today that I'm talking to in this house that are standing on the side and you're thinking, is this God thing worth it? Is this Christianity and Holy Spirit all that I hear about? And you're seeking to make a decision and a choice. You're living in a world that values today. You're living in a world that values the here and now. And you're trying to decide. And the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. And God is dealing with your heart. And you're like, am I going to have my Maranatha moment where for the first time I can really say, even so, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Let me tell you what you need. You need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What's the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, that's not what happens in a tank. What happens in the tank is water baptism. That's water baptism in Jesus' name. It's very, very important. In fact, the Bible says it's part of salvation. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not, you're not going to be saved. Eternity doesn't look good for you. That's why if you're here today and you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, I would say if if I were you, I would be like, preacher, please Put me in the water. I'm ready to be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of my sins, to have them washed away, to be buried with Christ in baptism today. That's water baptism. But spirit baptism is something that either happens before or after water baptism. We see in the Bible sometimes people got the Holy Spirit, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit before they were water baptized, and there were other people that were water baptized first, and then they received the Holy Spirit. Then there were other people that received the Holy Spirit right when they were being water baptized. So it can happen in any one of those types of equations. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, He that believeth on me as the Scripture hath said, said it in the book of John, I believe chapter 8, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Rivers of living water. First, he said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And then in parentheses, the writer John says, now here's what he was talking about. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus hadn't been crucified yet. But he was saying to them beforehand, if you believe on me according to the Bible, out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Remember I said earlier, he said uh, that uh, uh, he, he that drinketh of the water that I shall have, it shall be a spring of living water springing up into everlasting life. The Holy Spirit is what gives you the power to experience eternal life. It is what gives you, come on, the hope of eternity. So what does it look like? When a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit, what is it? What does it look like? What's really happening? It is when a person decides that I'm not going to live life on my own anymore. And I'm not going to make decisions and I'm not going to be in charge anymore. Amen. That's a hard thing to say, isn't it? That's why the Bible refers to it as death. 
we're crucified with Jesus when we make that choice. I'm not going to be in charge in my life anymore. I'm stepping out of the driver's seat. You know what I'm talking about. Amen. We, we spent time in the driver's seat before. Some of us had some major crack-ups driving in the driver's seat, didn't we? Making our own decisions, determining our own way. But when a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit, they've stepped out of the driver's seat and they say, okay, God, I'm letting you get into the driver's seat and I'm stepping over here. Somebody, I saw a bumper sticker that said, Jesus is my co-pilot. That's wrong. Jesus is your co-pilot. You better switch seats. Amen? Because when a person makes this decision, they say, God, I'm giving it up to you. I surrender. I yield control of my life. You're in charge. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to follow you all the rest of the days of my life. Praise God. Amen. And when a person makes that choice, we call that repentance. And when a person is repentant of their sins, they can receive the Holy Spirit right then. They can be baptized in water right then. But what happens when a person receives the Holy Spirit? This is beautiful. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I'm going to preach it because when I preach it, it happens. Amen. Anybody want to see somebody receive the Holy Spirit today? Let me tell you why it's so important because there are so many people that try to live for God without really having that breakthrough and receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's real frustrating. Turn to your neighbor and said, it's hard plowing. It's not easy at all. That's setting yourself up for a life of struggle because the Holy Spirit gives you power. The Holy Spirit's what sanctifies and cleanses you. Amen. From the inside out, amen. That's what the Holy Spirit does, and you need the Holy Ghost down in your soul. You're going to live for God. Well, preacher, how will I know when I receive it? How will I know that I had it? Well, let me share with you what happened in the Bible. Jesus had promised, he said, I'm going up to, to, to uh, heaven. I'm going to uh, be with, be in the heavens. So, but I leave the promise of the Father with you. Go wait in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So they went. And they were waiting and praying and believing for the promise. And the Bible says when the day of Pentecost was come, that was the day of the out, outpouring of the Spirit the first time, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there was a sound. It sounded like a freight train. Or a tornado. Anybody heard a tornado before? Oh, you ain't never heard no tornadoes from California. Be from Tennessee. <laughs> Sound from heaven. And there appeared cloven tongues like as a fire. It sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance or the ability to speak it. They begin to speak in a language that they never learned before. Somebody said, well, when you speak in tongues, do you know what you're saying? No, you never learned that language before. The Holy Spirit is praying through you. You're speaking in a heavenly language, or it could even be an earthly language. The, men of, uh, the tongues of men are of angels, but the Spirit of God is flowing through you. 
Now guess what? Speaking in tongues is the initial evidence of receiving the Holy Ghost. But that's not what it's all about. It's not about just speaking in a different language. It's about Jesus coming into the inside and your body becoming the new temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm a temple. That's why the Bible says, once you're filled with the Spirit, there's some place I don't want to take the Holy Ghost with me anymore. Amen. Places I won't go that I used to go because I'm a temple. I'm a dwelling place of the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. And I've made a decision. I've got Jesus on the inside. It's a tabernacle. We're a tabernacle of the living God. And the Spirit of the Lord will come in you. And God will give you brand new desires, new passion. He'll turn your life inside out, upside down. I got a witness in the house. Before I knew Jesus, I was on my own. But when I found him, when I was filled with the Spirit, I became a new creature in Jesus Christ. Why don't we stand our feet and praise the Lord right now? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. In the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's going to move in this place right now. I know we've had a move of the Spirit, but God wants to fall in this place with His glory and His anointing right in this house. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If there's anybody in this place today that would like to start living your life in light of eternity, knowing that there is something called eternal life, knowing that Jesus is coming again, knowing that your decisions that you make on this planet is going to affect eternity. Maybe you're a believer. Maybe you've been living for God. Maybe you're spirit-filled. But as you look over your life and you're honest, you realize, you know what? I haven't been living my life and making my choices, selecting my values based on this idea that Jesus is coming back and I want to live my life in light of eternity. And maybe you're here today and you're standing on the edge and looking over and wondering, should I jump in? Should I take the step of faith? I want to encourage you, as someone that took that step of faith many years ago, that through the up times and the down times, through discouragement and encouragement, the Lord Jesus has always been there with me. And I never have for one minute regretted that I was filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And I have new life in Jesus Christ. I wonder if we could gather around the front right now, all across this place for a few moments. We're going to pray together in Jesus' name. Jesus, because I believe in you. I really, really believe this gospel message, and I believe your word. And Lord, I want it to translate into my life, into my decisions and my values, Lord God. I 
pray in the name of Jesus that I would live and make decisions and have values, Lord God, that are based on eternal life, that are based on the fact that you're coming again to receive your church, Lord God, and I want to be a part of the church. I want to be spirit-filled. Hallelujah. God, if there is sin in my life, if I'm living in disobedience, if I'm breaking your laws of defying, Lord God, your truth, I pray that you would forgive me. Come on, somebody pray it right now in Jesus' name. God, forgive me and wash me clean, Lord Jesus, that I can start over again. Hallelujah, Lord. I plead the blood of, of the Lamb on my life, Jesus. I plead the blood of the Lamb, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, over my sin, wash me and cleanse me. And I need the power of your Holy Spirit to live holy. And I pray, Lord God, that you would give me a fresh baptism of your spirit right now. In the name of Jesus. Come on, lift up your hands. The Holy Spirit's going to fall in this place right now. In the name of Jesus, by faith in the name of the Lord, I pray let the Holy Ghost fall in this place right now. In the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it. Just praise the Lord right now. Lift him up and love Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I've never seen anybody receive the Holy Ghost with their mouth closed, and I've never seen anybody receive the Holy Ghost that wasn't praising the Lord. Everybody's praising their Lord with their mouth open, and the Holy Ghost falls. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Jesus, I praise you today. Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, I give glory to your name. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I magnify you, Lord. I worship you. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Come on, that's it. I feel it moving in this place. I feel the anointing in this house. I feel a breaking, Lord God. Hallelujah. Come on, let's lift up your voice right now. Somebody's going to get it. Somebody's going to receive right now what God has for them. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. In the name of the Lord, that's it. Just pray for that person next to you right now. God, I pray, Lord Jesus, for spiritual renewal. I pray for revival, Lord God. I pray for refreshing.
already had one receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There's more here. There's already one that just received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Thank God for what he's doing. Hallelujah. God's starting. God's starting. God's starting.
God's doing it. Amen. And I feel it. comes in and messes up our plans and just does his thing. Anybody feel that way? Praise God. So let's give him one more big hand of praise. Thank you, Jesus. 